Well, good morning, everybody. It is so great to be with you all here at Oikos, um, here in your new building. This is absolutely fantastic. What an amazing and glorious gift of God. I mean, to be able to gather and worship in this beautiful place every week. Congratulations, okay? Congratulations. I want to mention that Pastor Aaron and a lot of your leaders at Oikos have been very generous with their time in supporting our little church plant in Katy, Texas. Um, about a year ago, I met with Pastor Aaron to talk about starting a ministry that would later be called New Church. And we actually had our grand opening, our public launch, last night, which went really well. And uh, so on behalf of New Church, I want to express our deepest gratitude and our deepest appreciation for everything that you've done to help and to encourage us as we get started. Thank you very much. Let's pray that God will bless this time of looking at his word together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful room to meet in. We thank you for the joy and the enthusiasm that fills it and for your grace and love that unifies us here in your presence to worship you and glorify you. We ask that you would open your word to us now that you would challenge us, and that you would also give us comfort. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So Pastor Aaron, um, he asked me to speak from Psalm 34 today, and I'm more than happy to go along with that. Um, I drive my kids to school in the morning, and we've been listening to an audio version of the Bible every day, um, kind of seeing how far we can get in the Bible in just one year. And we have a 45-minute commute to Epiphany Lutheran School. So we're actually clipping along pretty well. And it just so happens that last week we were in Psalms. The Psalms are actually very special to me. I mean, I mean, all of God's Word is special to me, but the Psalms are extra special because, well, when I was 14 years old, I was standing in the backyard, and I was looking up at the stars, and I was thinking about, honestly, I was thinking about how I was such an enlightened atheist, and I was trying really hard not to believe in God, when suddenly I had the overwhelming sensation that I was the one being looked at, that the billions of stars and the billions of molecules that make up all of reality were just too interconnected, too precisely arranged to have just happened by random chance. I was suddenly overcome with the notion that there had to be a creator, a God who created all of this. And I couldn't shake it. So I went back in the house, and I picked up a Bible, and I cracked it open to the middle, and I started reading the first random verse that was just right there in front of me. And miraculously, I read Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And I've been a believer ever since. Psalms is the most complete work of practical theology that's ever been written. It's a collection of prayers, songs, reflections on who God is and how we should worship him. Do you ever wonder how you should pray? Do you ever wonder what it is that you should pray about? I mean, what's appropriate? What's not appropriate? Well, the Psalms are a pretty complete answer to that question. In these prayers, in the Psalms, you can find examples of sad prayers for like when our heart is broken and we're afraid, when people hurt us, when we fail God and when we fail other people. We also find examples of angry prayers, asking God, how long is he going to ignore us? How long is he going to let people hurt us, threaten us? We find prayers to strike our enemy down. I mean, like, for their lips to be cut off their faces, for their bodies to be struck down, and their blood to be licked up by dogs. Psalms. It brings a whole different perspective on the idea of praying for our enemies. (laughs) Just a side note. There are two ways to get rid of an enemy, but there's only two. One way is to destroy them, and the other way is to make them your friend. And either way, when we pray about it, as we should, we are honoring the idea that vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. The largest number of psalms are laments, sad prayers. But there's also prayers of thankfulness, of victory and joy. And the psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 34, is an example of a happy dance, a kind of happy dance. It was written by David just before he was king. He wasn't king yet. He was on the run from King Saul, who, as we all know, was very jealous of David, wanted to kill him. So David and his band of merry men, they showed up at the tabernacle, and they were hungry, and they asked for some food. And the priest, he gave them the holy bread of the presence. You might remember Jesus referring to this story when the Pharisees were jumping his case about healing somebody on the Sabbath. Remember that? Well, David explained that he had left in such a hurry running from Saul that he forgot to bring a weapon. And he asked if they had a spear or something that he could use to defend himself. And they gave him, do you remember, Goliath's sword, which just happened to be wrapped in a cloth over in the corner. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it tells us that David took the sword of Goliath and he escaped from King Saul. And then he went to the city of Gath, where he was hoping to get some help from the foreign king Achish. But as soon as he got there, he knew that was a bad idea. He knew that King Achish was not his friend, was not going to help him. He was surrounded. He was in a tight spot. 
So he did the only logical thing he could think of. He scratched on the doors like a dog, howled at the moon, drooled down his beard, and pretended to be insane. And it worked. I mean, his plan worked. They let him go. King Achish actually says, dude, we have enough crazy people around here. <laughs> so from there, David went to the cave of Abdullam, and it was there that he built his mighty men to an army of over 300 mighty warriors. And it's where he wrote Psalm 34. So here it is. Here's David's happy dance. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes the boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This next line, I really love this next line because my friend Kemper Crab used it in his song, Warrior. But also because it's one of the hundreds of verses that confirm the idea of angels guarding the people of God and the supernatural forces that surround us all the time. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And then, next is that very well-known phrase from that beautiful song that Jason and Ashley sang, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Whenever I'm reading through the Psalms, I think it's fun to kind of pick out all the little phrases that have been pulled to make songs and choruses and hymns and that have just kind of become part of our, of our popular phrases, like the greatest hits of the Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The image of young lions suffering want and hunger. I think that's a powerful image because it doesn't matter how young and powerful you are, how quick and strong you are, because if God doesn't provide the deer for you to chase down and have for lunch, you're not going to eat. So don't trust in your own strength or your youth, but instead seek the Lord. Now the next part is particularly awesome because I think it totally speaks to kind of all of our human nature. You know how it is when like we're on top of the world and we feel like everything is going our way. We kind of have a tendency to give advice to all the poor unlucky saps all around us. So I'm not saying that David's out of line here. That's not what I'm saying. But 
I do think this next part is kind of typical talk for people who are doing their happy dance, which can be hard to hear when we're not quite feeling the same way. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? I mean, David's saying, do you want to live a long life? Do you want God to bless you? Well, here, it's simple. Just do this. Listen. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Well, there. That sounds simple enough. Just control your tongue, be good, and God will bless you. Let's go home. I think we might have a problem since we can't control our tongue and since our hearts are inclined towards evil and deceit and since there are none who are righteous, not one. Well, there's one, but we'll get to that in a minute. Let's finish reading the psalm first. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And that's the end of the psalm. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, there's a part of this psalm that's quoted in the context of Jesus being crucified on the cross. Did you catch that? He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. So David wrote this psalm as a kind of happy dance for when he was able to escape from King Achish and King Saul. But the Gospel of John puts a more somber light on how the Lord will redeem the life of his servants. David says, if you want to have blessing, all you have to do is be righteous. But the problem is that none of us are able to be righteous, not on our own. And I know we all know this, right? We all get it. We know this theologically. We know it logically. But sometimes we don't really know it, because if we did, we wouldn't be so quick to make excuses for the things that we do to each other, 
We wouldn't be so quick to get mad when someone points out that, oh, maybe we took a joke too far, or we did something that we shouldn't have done. We hurt someone. Now, most of the time, when we feel ourselves getting angry, we should just stop whatever we're doing or saying and realize that anger is like a smoke alarm. Anger means that something's on fire. And we're probably the one who struck the match. So we all know in some way, on some level, that we're not righteous. I mean, that's Sunday School 101. But we don't really know it. Because if we did, we wouldn't try to deflect the blame from ourselves. Try to villainize someone else constantly. But we do. So let me say something else that should be very obvious to all of us. None of us are good people. God does not owe us his kindness. He doesn't owe us any blessing. The world is sick and dying, and the cause of death is mankind, us, all of us, you and me. We're the disease. Even when God reaches down to show us love, we become little biting monsters that refuse his affection and we snap at his fingers. See, Jesus came to the world and he was kind to us. He showed us how to live, how to love. And what did we do? We killed him. But we didn't break his bones and he didn't stay dead. See, God's word is true, and it's trustworthy. So now, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, Jesus who is Lord, Jesus who is God Almighty, now the last line of Psalm 34, it gives us more reason for happy feet and joy than David ever knew was possible. Listen to these words again with the understanding that Jesus is Lord. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. If we're in Christ, then we are a new creation. Jesus resurrected from the dead, and he offers new life to every one of us. We can be cured of this disease. We're offered refuge, safety, eternal life in Jesus. And we don't even have to act crazy to get it. Although it does seem like some people think we do, based on the way some Christians act. See, because of Jesus, the eyes of God are on us. Because of Jesus, God hears our cry, and he answers us. He delivers us out of our troubles. He's near to us when we're brokenhearted, and he saves us when we're crushed in spirit. We're not promised a life that avoids trouble or pain 
but we are promised that the Lord will deliver us out of them all in his timing. So we have to trust him. Remember the righteous one, the one that we're following, the one we're worshiping? If we're following him, if we're following Jesus, following, then just like Jesus, sometimes our life is going to look hopeless. The cross looked hopeless, you know? But it's become the very symbol of our hope. No matter how dark it seems, God has given us his word that we're going to be all right. So trust in him. As elated and full of joy, as David seems to be in Psalm 34, if you keep reading in Psalm 35, we find him once again pleading to God to have mercy on him and to save him from his enemies, Psalm 35, which I think is a good reminder that in this world, we're always going to have trouble, but we should take comfort in knowing that Jesus has overcome the world. I've heard it said that there's only two places that you can be in this life. You've probably heard this. You're either in a storm of trouble or you're in the calm before the next storm. May we take refuge in Christ the Lord. May we sing with unspeakable joy for others to find their refuge in him too. May we live lives that cause everyone who surrounds us to know what we know, that we have tasted the bread of heaven and it was good. May we invite everyone around us to magnify the Lord with us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege, the honor, the joy of gathering together with our friends in your presence in this beautiful place. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the times when we are just on top of the world and elated with joy because of the blessings that you've given us. Lord, help us to hold on to those times, those miraculous times, when we step into the next psalm and we are on our face crying for your help, your mercy, your kindness. Lord, show us this morning that you are always inclined toward us. Your kindness is always toward us because of your Son. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.